how long until we can blend in? If the unsaved looked at you, how would they be convinced that you're actually a different lifestyle than them? How would they be convinced? If you would turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter number 37, from verse 5 to 11, we won't read this together, but also have your finger in Genesis 37, verse 5 to 11, and then turn to Proverbs 29, 18. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. So what will happen is I'll read through Genesis 37, 5 to 11, and then you, or us all, we can read Proverbs 29, verse 18. Let me get there as well. All right. So, Genesis 37, verse 5 to 11, it says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood around about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have a dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and, my, and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. Now let's turn over to Proverbs 29 and verse 18, and let's read it together. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And turn back to Genesis 37 there. This will be our bouncing board. It is never a young person's desire or a new employee or a child's desire to become mediocre or average. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the life of uh, Joseph. It shows an amazing account of God's faithfulness through a faithful man who wanted to do more for God. Joseph, he didn't settle for mediocrity. When the famous and now passed away NBA player Kobe Bryant got drafted, imagine if a reporter came up to him and interviewed him and uh, talked about his aspirations in the NBA just as he's about to join and asked him, what do you plan to do? once you're in the NBA. Imagine if Kobe Bryant said, I plan to be a player that only plays when coach asks me to. I don't mind sitting on the bench and maybe getting about five minutes on the court, you know, it doesn't matter to me. If we had heard of such a thing from the now legend Kobe Bryant, imagine if we had heard such a thing, we would have easily just dismissed him and said, well, there goes another one. 
Nobody would have bothered even trying to cheer for him and like that. Now, many young men and many young women graduate from high schools and they bring up what they will do with their life. Usually when they walk up the aisle, you know, the announcer is going on about their, what's their name, where they plan to go after they graduate, what they're about to do after they graduate. Some of them, they take a year off for studying purposes. They call that that gap year. But many others talk about their future of wanting to play a greater part in society. They will say, so-and-so wants to take engineering at such-and-such university. So-and-so wants to take advanced programming and diagnostics and such-and-such institute. So-and-so has gotten a scholarship at such-and-such university, and therefore they'll be moving to this such-and-such place in the fall. You're familiar with these, right? And even the valedictorian, he will come up, he will give his speech, and he will give compliments to all his peers, and then he will give some kind of piece of news that happened during his year of graduating, and he'll say a joke, an inside joke that only his friends understand, because that's how valedictorians are. And the students will laugh, and it's a wonderful time. Everyone has aspirations at that moment. Nobody that was graduating that day wanted to be average. These are all examples, and clearly there was an objective in mind, a dream to become something someday. In Joseph's life, we have a young man who dreamed a dream. He had a dream that one day he will rule over his household. Obviously, this was given by God, this dream. But you can imagine his brothers. Well, there goes the dreamer again. He's off in his mind. In their hushed tones and hush murmurings, they were talking behind his back. And maybe they said, oh, well, if he could only see how obnoxious he is by talking about his dreams, why doesn't he ever do work for once? You can imagine these were going through the mind, going through the talks and the whispers they were doing to each other about Joseph and his dreams. Now, if those comments were being made at a graduation ceremony, we'd kick the guy out. We'd probably call him Mr. Negative or our Debbie Downer or something like that. How could they say such things? But those were what Joseph was going through at that point. The Bible says that his brothers hated him the more when he spoke of his dreams. But understand that that dream was given by God. It was a vision. It was a revelation of what God was going to do. Nobody, including Joseph, at that time, planned to be mediocre. Nobody at that time planned to be average and live without hopes and dreams. But you know how it is in life. It happens where hopes and dreams are kind of eventually let go. We slowly drift away from those things of wanting to have and want to do more. And there comes a time in our life where just, we just make up a routine, we make up a rut, where we are able to go through the motions just to make it, just to make it. 
I titled this message, Are You Thriving or Are You Surviving? How do you prevent yourself from becoming lazy, from becoming average, from becoming mediocre? I believe through Joseph's life, we can learn that having dreams is actually a good thing. It's a good thing. Not settling for mediocrity is a good thing. That bringing our standards high is a very good thing. Our identity, after all, is in Christ, not our peers and our friends. Our identity is in Christ and not in the things of this world. Therefore, we ought to strive to become better, carrying our former self every day to become more like Christ. That is the basis of that verse, Proverbs 29, verse 18. So, I want to ask you, do you have a vision? And do you have a dream? But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for everyone here today. We thank you, Lord, that you've gathered us in here. You've given us enough food to eat. And you've uh, filled us up. And now I pray, Father, that you fill us up with your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that every one of us here would draw closer to you. But Lord, that we would dream to do more for you. And that we would strive to become better Christians after this message is done. But also, Lord, that perhaps maybe down the road, you would bring this message back. I pray, Lord, just as you had spoken to me in my heart with this message, that you would allow me to convey it to the congregation right now. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. I thank you and praise you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph, what we learn from him in order for him to keep his dream and vision alive is that Joseph held to high standards. Joseph held to high standards. Joseph couldn't have stopped his circumstances. He couldn't have stopped the fact that he was thrown into a pit. He couldn't have stopped the fact that he was sold to slavery. He couldn't have stopped that. But what he did have control was his convictions, his standards. How high can he keep them? This man shows us what can happen when the standards are brought up. But before that, Genesis 38 is what I want to look at. So turn one page over, Genesis 38, verse 1 and 7, verse 1 to verse 7. A lot of commentators believe this story may have happened just before Joseph got sold into slavery. But, nevertheless, it happened. And it happened not to Joseph. It seems like a very random story that took place. And it happened to one of Joseph's brothers named Judah. Now, while Joseph got traded for slavery, look at what Judah was up to. Verse, uh, verse number 1 of chapter 38. And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned in to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. And Judah saw the, uh, there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in unto her, and she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Er. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son, and called his name Shelah. 
and he was at Chizib when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar, and Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Now, you could read the whole chapter through. It doesn't look good for Judah. You can see Judah, while Joseph was a great example of high standards, Judah is an example of lowering standards. What happens when a Christian lowers his standards? First of all, you see in Judah's life, he ended up lowering his standards for who he made his friends. His friendship was in the wrong place. He was trying to make friends in Canaan. In Canaan, one of the issues when you try to have friends in Canaan is that you will end up marrying a Canaanite. That ended up happening to Judah. And one of the biggest things that God has always forbidden the Israelites to do was never marry a Canaanite. In verse 7, we see what has taken place. The son of Judah, an heir, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Well, as a family, it was already breaking up for Judah. What kind of a wicked life did Judah live? Who knows? But it was enough for the firstborn to learn from dad that it doesn't matter to have high convictions, to have high standards. Jacob, you know the story of Jacob, who was the father of Judah. He himself didn't live a very godly life. Jacob, as we know, he lived a life of deceit. He lived a life where he wanted to get his way one way or another. Doesn't matter how what God wanted for him. He, wanted to, he was willing to lie to get what he wanted. Not only that, he ended up marrying two women. Not only that, he ended up having multiple children with multiple women. Not only his two wives, but with the servants of his wives. Already, there was a messed up thing happening in Jacob's life. From there, no wonder Judah brought down his standards. Now, if a story stopped there and we forgot about Joseph, what do you think is the inductive conclusion Right? Not deductive, but inductive. By seeing the pattern, what we've seen so far. What do you think will happen to Joseph if the story ended there? We would all conclude, Joseph, he's in slavery. He's far from home. Nobody's looking after him. Who's going to keep him accountable? He's out in the world of Egypt. What do you think is the conclusion? He's going to lower his standards, right? But you know the story. That wasn't the case. Turn to Genesis 39. See, Joseph, at the age of 17, at the age of 17, according to verse, chapter number 39, verse 2, it says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So, Joseph looks like he decided to live with a higher standard. 
When Joseph was given an opportunity to have sinful pleasure, to lay with a woman like his brother did, when he was given that option, what did Joseph do? He didn't give in. You see, Potiphar's wife wanted to lay with Joseph. And the Bible goes out of its way to call Joseph even a good-looking guy. Potiphar's wife wanted to lay with him. She wanted to commit adultery. And even when no one was watching, Joseph could have easily given over himself to this. Imagine if a guy who had given, his, uh, given himself over to a woman for her pleasures, he would have also had her heart. He would have gotten anything he wanted. But Joseph, with his higher standards, decided, no, I'm going to run. Potiphar's, li- Potiphar's wife even went out and lied about what had happened to Joseph. And you know what's even greater? Joseph knew that she lied, but he didn't even try to plead his case. He just went with it. He didn't try to fight it. He just allowed her to destroy his, his reputation. And he got thrown into prison. This Joseph kept very high standards in his work. He kept high standards in his ethical matters. He kept high standards in his morals. And many Christians who were once taught strict convictions are starting to lower them. Many Christians who once only listened to good music that pleased the Lord now only have good music just as a thing they do on Sundays and no other. Many have changed the way they do things when no one is around. I can even guess that some of you teens here today, perhaps you made decisions at teen camp to draw closer to God, to make your convictions stronger and firmer so that you can draw close to God. You might have loosened them by now. More and more Christians that once had higher convictions have lowered them. There used to be a time where perhaps some of them would love church and they would come 15 minutes before the service started or perhaps 30 minutes before the service was starting. But then now they come just shortly after or just before it starts. Where they once dressed with a suit and tie for Sunday, now they come in slacks or shorts. They are more and more willing to live on the edge of their convictions so that they could push the boundaries just a little more. Just a little more. But ladies and gentlemen, keep your standards high. Keep your standards high. We serve a holy and perfect God. And no, there is no verse that says, thou shalt listen to this kind of music and thou shalt wear this kind of clothing for church. There is no verse that says such a thing. But people, where are our distinctions? Where is the line that you draw between what the world looks like and what a Christian ought to look like? See, how long until we can blend in? If the unsaved looked at you, how would they be convinced that you're actually a different lifestyle than them? How would they be convinced? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 15, it gives us a very good principle to live by. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. We are called, in fact, to even be a peculiar people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we have an opportunity to do the right thing, we ought to do it. Proverbs 3.27 says, Withhold not good from them whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, so to him it is sin. Ladies and gentlemen, God blesses those who have kept their standards high. Standards are not for God, they're for you. It's for you. Standards, if you would, for a moment, as an analogy, are like company policies. I want to give you an example. At Starbucks, you can pass them your own mug to fill up for 10 cents discount because you're saving the planet by doing so. But when you pass them your travel mug, oftentimes they will tell you, please remove the cap off your mug so that we can fill it up. This is a company policy. Why do they do that? Well, there are health concerns, right? What if the person who uh, had that travel mug or that mug had some kind of disease and they were touching that and then they would proceed to touch other people's mugs and such, right? You can easily spread whatever virus is out there. But does that necessarily mean that every single person that has come by with their mug has a disease? No. But it's a company policy to do such a thing. You see, when you put standards up, you will be perceived differently. But the simple fact that you had standards puts you at a much better position to resist sinning against God. Convictions these days are becoming more and more underrated when they are so much more needed these days. So, Joseph gives us a good example of high standards, living by high standards. Second is, Joseph gives us an example of faithfulness. We understand that Joseph showed faithfulness in his standards, but in between every situation he found himself in, he was also faithful to be a good servant who wanted to do more. What will help a Christian stay away from mediocrity to prevent them from becoming average is being faithful with the tasks that they've been given and seeking to do more. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2.
So in verse 2 it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. I'm understanding more and more how important the standard of a character is in a person. Aren't you glad that sometime in your life, people decided to stay? People decided to be with you when the times got tough. They didn't waver in their beliefs and change at every whim that came by, but they stayed. When help was needed, that certain person were more than happy to come and help you. They were willing to easily pull up their sleeves and get dirty and help you out. All of Joseph's bosses, I'm sure of this, if he were living today and his bosses were there, Joseph could easily ask for a recommendation from all of them and they would more than happily say, yes, this is the most faithful servant I've ever had. He's the greatest man you want to have in your workforce. Joseph, inside Potiphar's house, he rose up the ranks because he was, a, he was faithful. He adhered to the principle of being faithful in the greater responsibilities and the smaller responsibilities. Joseph, once he was put into prison for a false accusation because of Potiphar's wife, he remained faithful and he rose up the ranks again. And there the warden of the prison began committing things more and more to Joseph. And it seems Joseph was more than happy to do it. Even when the baker and the butler forgot about him, he was more than happy to keep going, to keep working. And after that, sure enough, the Lord used all those circumstances. Finally, when Pharaoh had a dream and he needed interpreting, Joseph was there. When Pharaoh had a dream and he needed interpreting, Joseph gave a solution. Joseph eventually became prime minister. From rags, really, to riches. And it all follows the principle of faithfulness. This is the same principle that we see when the parable was given about the talents. Right? I think you know this story. There was a servant... And he was given five talents. The master was leaving and he gave one servant five talents. The other servant was given how many? All right. And then one servant was given one. Right. And then eventually what happened was the master came back. But by the time the master came back, the ones that had five and the ones that had two, they doubled. Right. But the one that had one, he didn't care too much about it. And in fact, he even buried it. So by the time the master came, what was the rebuke? He gave the compliment to the two others that doubled, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But the other, he took that talent, he gave it to the one that had five, and then he cast him out. That, he cast out that, fa- that servant. See, it's faithfulness that God is also looking for. They didn't, they didn't get rebuked because they were faithful with what they were given and made the best use of it, though five and the two talent servants. Even when you come on a Wednesday service, we're now showing the financial freedom stuff. And in the financial freedom series, 
you'll learn that you're not only given money to steward in your life, you're also given a wife or a husband. You're also given children. You're also given a home. You're also given a car. You're also given all these kinds of items that are in your life to steward, to use for God. Those are, little, those are all things to steward. Perhaps a big reason that people often fall into greater and greater debt is because they're not putting God into the picture. Or perhaps they're not trusting God with what they have to steward. And sometimes even their children go wayward and they get worried about it. Why? Because perhaps they never even dedicated them to the Lord in the first place. So understand this, everyone wants to do something great in their life. Every Christian ought to want to do more for God. But many are not willing to also pay the price in their service to the Lord. You know this, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. A person who doesn't struggle with stealing, he won't really have too much trouble with that. But they often overlook the circumstances because a faithful person can be wise with their time. We often forget about this. That time that you have to work is actually your boss's time. He's the one converting that time into money for you. So a faithful Christian worker can make sure that when they work, they aren't goofing off or they're not chatting with friends and other workers, but they're actually doing the work that they've been hired to do. The Bible says, thou shalt not covet. A person may go all day not coveting their neighbor's things and such, but they open their social media and all of a sudden, they look at what their friends have been doing. They look at what their friends have had. They look at this other friend and this friend and that friend and how well it's going in their lives. And they start coveting. And they start looking, man, I wish I had that. Oh, I wish I could have experiences like those. Slowly, their outlook becomes one of covetousness. The faithful person will make sure that they don't spend too long looking at social media, coveting the attention of their friends lest they sin against God. And the Bible says also, study to show thyself approved unto God. But in order to do so, it requires the sacrifice of time. The sacrifice of putting aside certain pleasures and times of relaxation or certain time spent with others in order to follow this command. Now someone could easily study at home, and I'm not going to dismiss that, but that requires also the discipline of knowing how to do the studying and the discipline to stay away from the distractions of life to try and study, you know how difficult it can be. Or you could take a class at Pacific West Baptist College and have that extra disciplining part that's so difficult to come by, taken care for you by the college. You can easily do the studying at a Bible college like PWBC. I can tell you a story of a, of a young lady she grew up in a Christian home and she, sent, uh, she, she often went to church her whole life. 
She one day went to teen camp and she surrendered to God and told God that she wanted to be faithful. A year passed and she went to camp again and she told God, I want to go to Bible college, Lord. But when the time came and she graduated high school, she was afraid. She just carried on with her way in life, working odd jobs here and there. But while she worked her different jobs, the Lord kept burdening her about that promise that she had made once at camp. So she decided she would remain faithful in her church. But one day, she met a missionary that came on deputation. And she felt the burden for the souls that day. She cried and wept as she was hearing about the lost souls every day. So she decided, I just want to give to missions. I want to be more faithful in praying for my missionaries, for missions around the world. But as time was moving forward, her prayers were starting to change again. And she started praying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And someone in her church offered to pay for her tuition to go to Bible college. So she surrendered again to go. She didn't have much, but with what she did have, she gave it to the Lord. And her prayers for missions started to change into, Lord, what could I do for missions? And the Lord called her one day to India. In her last year of Bible college, a leadership conference was being held where many pastors from around Asia were coming. So she decided, I need to go meet these pastors. I need to go hear what is going on in India, what it's like. She loved the conference. She learned a lot. But most importantly, the Lord used that conference to plant a seed about the countries around India, specifically. And a country she had never heard before came up, called Sri Lanka. So she wanted to learn more about this country. And so she thought she would start searching for the contacts she had found at that Bible conference. She accidentally befriended somebody who eventually would come into her life and become her husband through God's providential hand and have the same burden for missions as she did. Some of you may know who that is. My wife. But faithfulness was the quality God used in her. Faithfulness is the quality that God used in Joseph. Faithfulness is the quality that God will use even in you today. But only if you will stay faithful to God. Only if. So I'm going to conclude. The life of a faithful Christian is, in a simple word, difficult. It's difficult. It can be difficult to live at high standards with convictions, to remain faithful while others are enjoying pleasures of this world. You may feel like you are missing out. This is a, lot, this is a huge fear for a lot of people these days. Joseph shows us that it wasn't the case, though. If you were to ask Joseph, Joseph, you staying away from all these pleasures in life, was it worth it? Take a look at Genesis 41. Genesis 41.
Joseph, you missed out on all of these things. Your brothers had all these opportunities while you were here in Egypt. Was it worth it? Genesis 41, verse 50 to 52. Here, I think, is his reply. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. What does it mean? For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. And what does that mean? For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Fruitfulness, blessing, a great relationship with the Lord. No person in heaven who had served God with their life would say that they regret that decision. They would never say that they had regret having higher standards in life. For having had more and more ministries under their wings, they would never say that they regret it. I think they would only say that they wished they could have done more or that they didn't settle for what they had. There are incredible blessings to come. And when you keep your high convictions, your higher standards, and you stay faithful to God, God isn't going to sarcastically say, good for you. You are withholding from the worldly pleasures of this world. You are being faithful to the call. Good for you. You haven't given up on the ministries. Good for you. And give you a pat on the back. No. There's so much more. There are so, some great blessings that are given to those that give of themselves to God. Those who raise up their standards for the cause of Christ are given great dividends. One of them in Psalm 84, verse 11 to 12, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Psalm 37, verse 25 and 26 says, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. There are more opportunities to get behind when someone stays faithful to God. Summer is over. It's time to get back to work. And they who put their standards high are not mediocre Christians, but they are Christians who thrive. I think there are some standards that you could perhaps start implementing today. Come to church 15 minutes ahead of service. Participate in all the church events that you can. Be a part of at least one ministry. And there are many ministries. Another standard or a conviction to have, come out for soul winning or flyering at least once a month. Dress your best for church. Tithe, but also give for missions. If you're a teenager, a standard you can have is not to date right now, 
but keep it for after graduating. If you're a teen, pray before eating, even in public. A lot of teens are afraid of this. Another thing, invite your friends to church. Stay faithful in the ministries that you're a part of right now. And if you're a college and career, when dating, keep your hands off each other. You'll have plenty of time to do that after marriage. Have someone with you when you are with the opposite gender and alone. Prioritize church even when your schedule gets busy. These are good standards to have that you could start implementing today, even one at a time. Finally, discipline says, I need to do these standards. Duty will say, I ought to do these. But devotion says, I want to do them. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.